Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. Hope you had a happy Easter and Passover and all too fast this goes and here we are but in beautiful spring well in Pittsburgh beautiful spring we have sun occasionally but we also have a lot of rain surprise surprise we're trying to beat Seattle that's what we're doing here but it doesn't matter we are still the most beautiful city in the United States of America. Come and visit us in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Well, first, hello, Yoshiko Dart. How are you, my good friend and leader in the world on disability advocacy? Have to send that shout out to you. And here we go. Once again, we have 17 countries listening to this show. And thank you, everyone. Everyone, even the countries like Saudi Arabia, where there's maybe only one person listening, you make a difference just being able to tell other people about this show. Ireland, as usual, you just rock it. I don't know what to say. And China, really starting to get a lot of listeners. I want to say to all of you how much it means to me that you listen to these podcasts of this radio show and that I hope you do share it with others because that's the only way we can get out more news about quality of life for people living with disabilities everywhere in the world. And I wouldn't be able to do any of this if it were not for Highmark, our lead sponsor for three years now. And uh, just such a great company with David Holmberg at the helm. He is such a great man. And I so appreciate everything that this company does. And at the first part of the year, our uh, good friend AudioEye was also a sponsor. So, you know, I want to tell you, if you're listening to the show You can sponsor, not everyone is going to be high mark with the whole year, but you know what? You can sponsor one month if if it doesn't matter. Everything counts. Well, I am so excited about our guest today, and you'll know why in just a couple moments. You'll know the connection in just a couple moments. But you know what? I always love young people, well, period. But everyone knows about my advocacy for young people with disabilities, high school students, college students, and early graduates, because we need in this country disability rights leaders and advocates to follow up behind all the others of us that has done so much work. We need people like Elijah Armstrong, the founder of Equal Opportunities for Students. Elijah, it is just a pleasure to have you on the show today. Um, And we're going to talk about epilepsy. And right away, everyone listening, you know I'm living with epilepsy, so this is very, very important to me. But how about if you start by telling our listeners about when you were first diagnosed with epilepsy and how that impacted you? 
Um, first, I just want to thank you very much for, for having me on the show and for such a warm welcome. Um, but I was, I've had seizures on and off for most of my life, but I was first medicated for seizures um, between my sophomore and junior years of high school. And I went to uh, Stanton College Prep High School in Jacksonville, Florida, and the lights in my math classroom my junior year were, um, the ceiling was very low and the lights would flicker and it would cause me to have seizures. My biggest trigger is flashing lights. It would cause me to have petty mall seizures literally every other day. Uh, every day I went to the class, it would cause me to have seizures. I would have to leave school. I'd go to the emergency room. My mom would miss work to take me to the ER. I'd miss the back half of my classes. I'm recovering. You can't do homework like that. You can't learn like that. So I went to my guidance counselor. I said, I have a documented disability. Can you please help me get an accommodation? And my guidance counselor said in so many words that um, the school didn't do accommodations and that for the integrity of the program, I would need to leave. And um, I knew this was wrong. I knew this was morally wrong and legally wrong, and I decided to fight it. And um, it was a long battle. There was a lengthy investigation by the Office for Civil Rights. Uh, there was a legal battle. Um, it took about four years, but um, my sophomore year we, of college, um, we settled with Duval County, um, and I am graduating in two weeks uh, from Penn State University Park with a degree in education and public policy. And then I'm going on to uh, the Harvard Graduate School of Education to get a degree in education policy and management. Wow, that is so awesome. Oh, that is so great. That is such a great story. However, it's a horrible story. Was this in high school they told you this? High school? Yes. Yes, this was in high school. It was, it's, it's so, like, amazing to just think about. I was talking to my mom about it the other day, that all of this has happened in the last six years. It's been an entire roller coaster from being told that I was not qualified to graduate from high school to getting an acceptance letter from Harvard has all been within the last six years. And it's been an absolute roller coaster, but I'm so grateful for so many people that have helped me through this and the disability community um, for the advocacy that everyone does uh, specifically in the realm of education. It's been an amazing journey. You know what? First of all, what an inspiration and a great role model you are for others, young people with disabilities, really all people with disabilities. But you know what you just said? You were saying, like, uh, it is a roller coaster. Like, I'm so proud of you. You obviously are extremely intelligent. And to think that of what they told you and look where you are now is unbelievable and just that great example that I always talk about with high school students with disabilities, do not let the school label you. Do not buy into it. Um, and you did not, thank goodness. And you know, you could have, though. You could have thought, yeah, see, I can't do it. And would that not have been a terrible waste of intelligence and the gifts that you're giving back 
uh, to all of us. But you know what else I was thinking, Elijah? I was thinking, when you hear this story, when you think it's like the 70s or something. I mean, who would believe this would be now? You know, just six years ago. I mean, when you hear this story, it sounds as if, you know, oh, I have this guy telling this story and this young man. And you would think, what, is this like an old show or something? You have to have to be really old to even be on the Internet. But you know what I mean. When you hear about this story, if I tell this story, there was a young man um, and, you know, they told him. Uh, he could not be there. He could not be part of the program. Why? Oh, because he had seizures. People would say, oh, was that before IDEA? When was that? I mean, it's terrible. Yeah, like I get that a lot. I get that all the time, um, that people will will hear me tell my story and then look at me because I'm, I'm currently 22, um, and people will hear me tell that story and look at me in shock and are literally appalled at the fact, and I've had people tell me that, that they're appalled at the fact that they're hearing this story and seeing it be told by a 22-year-old who has experienced it so recently, um, it really does bring into perspective how far we do still have to go. Yeah, that sounds like Judy Human talking. You know, when she was told she couldn't... Uh, teach at that school, you know, because she was in a wheelchair, you know, one of the greatest disability leaders of all time. And how old is she? 71. So that's what I mean. You're 22 telling this story. And may I ask you, what gave you the fortitude to fight back? Um, Well, a few things. One, I knew that it was that it was illegal because I grew up, um, I spent most of my life living with my grandmother, who's been a school social worker for 40 years. Um, and my grandfather, who she was married to, who unfortunately passed very early on in my life, was, was a special education teacher for most of his life. So I grew up in this environment. I grew up knowing that accommodations are a thing that you can request if you're sick. I I grew up understanding, watching my grandmother go to work for exceptionally long hours to fight with school districts for these challenges. So I knew that this was a thing that you were able to get. Um, And I'm very thankful to have had that background knowledge because if if I didn't, I'm not sure how it would have turned out. But also, it was partially a fight of necessity because it was... I was essentially told you either deal with the seizures or drop out. Um, and I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do if I was going to drop out. Like that's a huge, huge life decision there. And I was not sure what I was going to do. So it was partially a fight for myself out of necessity. And also because I figured that, this couldn't just be happening to me. And I know that this is a problem that does happen in Duval County for students with other disabilities. I know that they've had a few lawsuits about the way that they um, restrain um, autistic students. And just realize that this was a, 
a problem and not a personal problem, but more of a, a public issue specifically in Duval County, but across the nation as a whole, wanting to do something to change that was one of the reasons I was motivated to fight this as well. Wow. Well, that is a great story, and we're going to talk about it a lot more. But right now, we're going to get ready to go to break. If you just joined us, we are talking to this dynamic young man, Elijah Armstrong, who is the founder of Equal Opportunities for Students and a disability rights leader. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Disability Matters. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. And we are talking to Elijah Armstrong, the founder and equal opportunities for students and just a tremendous young man. I'm so proud of him and everything that he's doing. And Elijah, you just mentioned you were an AAPD intern. I believe you're a future Paul Hearn award winner with this work you're doing. But um, I wanted to ask you, how did you like that being an intern? I loved the AAPD experience. I have a lot of friends. Um, from AAPD that I very much will appreciate for the rest of my life. So, Elijah, as you know, many kids at school are brutally bullied about epilepsy. First, I wanted to ask you, you were mentioning your seizures. Were they always petite mall? I mean, did they ever generalize and become tonic-clonic seizures? Yeah, uh, I run the full gamut of seizures. I've had uh, petty mall, tonic, clonic, and grand mall. Um, I, I'm doing a lot better now um, that I'm seeing a regular neurologist. Um, and you, you know the difficulty of getting doses changed and adjusted. And really, also, I'm in college, so getting a regular lifestyle, regular sleep schedule, regular um, being in a stressful environment, those things um, – also trigger seizures. So I've ran, I've ran the full gamut, but I'm much more under control now than I was, especially in high school when I was being triggered all the time. 
Oh, thank goodness that you're much better. Oh, yes. I know people have so many issues, as my listeners know. My epilepsy was misdiagnosed, and uh, in other words, the types of seizures I had, because they were not a convulsion, were misdiagnosed by my family doctor. And one night in 1985, I went to see the movie Amadeus, and it had an intermission, and at the intermission, I walked out to get a soda. My husband went to the men's room, and I had a seizure, and I hit the floor so hard, I fractured my skull, uh, had an intracranial brain hemorrhage, I dislodged the bones in my right inner ear, which is why I have a 70% hearing loss on my right side, and was rushed to the hospital and had life-saving brain surgery, and I get on anti-epilepsy medication, and guess what? The fainting spells stopped. In other words, I always had epilepsy. Now, through the years, off and on, I have had seizures, but I'm really lucky because they have been few. Um, and But I always say even one seizure a year is too many. So let me give you advice. If you have a child that you believe this isn't right in the family doctor, I don't believe he's right, you get another opinion. And if you're having seizures, don't go to the family doctor. Go to a neurologist. I mean, if you can find a neurologist that specializes in epilepsy, like an epileptologist, that's even better. But go to the right place. And if you're taking medication and you start having all these side effects, you go back. See, no matter what it is with health, I feel like people are afraid to stand up to a doctor. I don't know why that is, but don't be afraid. Because you know what, Elijah? Here's what I tell people. When you have epilepsy, you have too many neurons firing off, as you well know. So, you know, that fits the two of us. We just have too much firepower. That's what I say about epilepsy. And obviously, it didn't stop you, but I have to tell you, Elijah, there are many kids at school who are brutally bullied about their epilepsy. One of them is in my office today. This young woman just graduated from college. She's doing an internship here this summer. Beautiful absolutely beautiful but all through high school after these kids saw her have a seizure she was so bullied and people treated her so terribly that she would just sit off by herself she became so shy then when she went to college of course you know this started to break down but when I can't have her talk about it or she will burst out crying so I wanted to ask you Elijah for young people listening to the school, uh, at school, who are brutally bullied about their epilepsy, what advice do you have for them? Well, the first thing that I would suggest is uh, self-care. Knowing what it is that you like to do to make yourself feel better and make yourself feel valid and accept yourself and love yourself is something that you should make a conscious decision to do is make sure that um, whether it's watching your favorite TV show or, or eating your favorite food or spending time with 
some of your friends that you've been friends with for a while, you know, you won't have that problem with, um, is the first thing I would suggest is it's super important to make sure that you are not exerting yourself more than you are emotionally um, able to. And then the other thing was I had a, a situation recently where I was working with someone who was constantly making bigoted comments, and I was really frustrated about it. I, went, I talked to a friend and mentor about it, and he told me that while he understood it was frustrating, that going on into the rest of the world, I'm going to be working with people like that for a long time, so this is good practice. And I'd never really thought about it like that before, is that it's an opportunity to have practice confronting and calling out bigotry. I'm not saying to give more of yourself than you can. If you are not doing well and the situation is affecting you, take the time to go, to go leave and protect yourself. But also, you, you can view it as making yourself stronger and being able to call out ableism in situations. Um, that's really how I started viewing it towards the end of high school. I think, I think it was really helpful for me. I think that is great advice. And one of the things you said there, I have to say this, believe in yourself. Don't be ashamed. You believe in you. You believe in you, but don't keep it a secret. You know, if you're being horrifically bullied at school, don't keep it a secret. And if you can't tell your teacher, tell a coach. And if you can't tell a coach, uh, and I'm, of course, I assume you go to your parents first, but if you still feel uncomfortable and you can't go to a pastor, a rabbi, just tell someone, uh, someone, uh, a friend, a mentor, but don't keep it, don't keep it secret. Don't do that because it can just continue, you know, and become a catastrophic situation. And you know what else? You need to look at people like Elijah. Look at him. I mean, Harvard? Look at him. What a great example. Uh, And when you were, since we're talking about high school, when you were in high school, uh, what impacted you the most that you remember from this whole thing? Would it be a teacher? Would it be when you had a seizure? Or would it be that guidance counselor? The thing that stands out to me the most was, um, so this was a four-year experience, um, and it really, really blew up in 2014. Um, That's when the legal um, action started and when the investigation from the Office for Civil Rights started. And the Jacksonville Times Union, the local paper, did a newspaper article about me. And obviously, that just took over the school, because if there's a story about a student that's alleging uh, discrimination, and you guys are all in the same school together, you eat at the same cafeteria, you take the same classes, obviously, like, everyone's going to have an opinion on it. And I still, to this day, remember the number of people that came up to myself and my mom and were like, hey, Elijah, I saw your story. I have XYZ disability. I have this chronic illness. And I went to the school for an accommodation, and they told me the same thing. Um, But they all feared the backlash from the school so they weren't going to, to take the path that I did. And the thing that takes me aback most, honestly, is that it still happens. is that I 
graduated high school four years ago. I am currently in State College, Pennsylvania, and just a few weeks ago, a student from that same high school found me on Facebook and messaged me and were like, hey, I'm facing discrimination from Stanton administration for the same reason. Can you talk to me and give me advice? And that's six years after, after I first became public. And that's something that really stands with me is the pervasiveness of this problem and the, the, how common this experience is. Was that from a different school or, or the same, same school? school? Oh, same school. what is wrong with them? That's my question. Wow. Terrible. Well, with that, it is time for news break. And as you know, we have a news break on the half hour uh, on every show with Perry Jude Radisick, Pennsylvania Disability Rights Network. But she could not be here today. But one of her leaders can be here today, and that would be Jennifer Garman. Are you with us? Hi, Jennifer. Yes, I am, Joyce. Hi, Hi Joyce Jennifer. Howard. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having us. So today I'm going to be talking about some new regulations from the U.S. Department of Transportation. The U.S. Department of Transportation recently revised their regulations to report mishandled wheelchair and scooter data in aircraft cargo compartments after the Federal Aviation Act was reauthorized in 2018. The new requirements went into effect on December 4th of 2018. People with disabilities who travel by air are now know that their mishandled or damaged wheelchair or scooter uh, is being documented and reported to the United States Department of Transportation. The data is found at the Transportation Department's Air Travel Consumer Reports. A link to the December and January reports can be found on our website at www.disabilityrightspa.org. When we looked at those reports, here's what we found. In December 2018, airlines reported 701 incidents of mishandled wheelchairs and scooters. That was 2.18% of all wheelchairs and scooters that people with disabilities took with them on air travel, about 32,200 transported um, wheelchairs and scooters. In January of 2019, airlines reported 681 incidents, or about 2.06% of all wheelchairs and scooters that were transported. Many of us have experienced or have friends who have traveled by air with their scooters only to have their mobility device damaged, bent, or broken by the airline. The advocacy community has had difficult accessing data about the extent to which airlines have damaged or broken wheelchairs or scooters nationwide. And we hope that the change in documenting and reporting the data will help keep pressure on the airlines to come up with better policies to avoid damage to our technology in the future. Advocacy matters, and we thank Senator Tammy Duckworth for her work to make this data collection a reality. Oh, and isn't she so awesome? Senator Duckworth, she, she is so awesome. Well, okay, so if they want to read more about that, once again, what's your website? www.disabilityrightspa.org. Disabilityrightspa.org. One of the best organizations. Everyone, make sure you check it out. And Jennifer, thank you for that news update. 
Thank you, Joyce. We started doing this, uh, Elijah, on every show because I wanted to provide a venue for people with disabilities to know what's going on uh, in the country, you know, from a policy standpoint or with the government. Um, And so we have Disability Rights PA, the CEO, Perry Jude Radisic, on every show on the half hour talking about this. So um, it's really an awesome thing. Okay, back to you, Mr. Elijah. What you're going to be all about policy, right? Yeah, that's definitely my focus is trying to fix the issue on a systemic level. Yeah, right. Well, now for something, oh, I'm so excited about, and that is your not-for-profit that I wanted to talk about, which is Equal Opportunities for Students. Why don't you tell our listeners about that? So um, I founded Equal Opportunities for Students um, my senior year of high school and really started working on it harder once I got to college. But it was really a combination of wanting to be able to tell the stories of all of the people that came to me and expressed having similar issues, as well as um, I did get a lot of backlash from, from students and parents and from some school officials that that disagreed. And one statement that I heard multiple times, which really stands out in my mind, was the statement that um, Stanton doesn't accommodate. They give you a chance to either adjust or move on. And I know that that was not coming from a place of, of hatred. It was instead coming from a place of ignorance. And it was people that didn't understand that this was not me trying to find the easy way to cheat my way into getting a diploma, but this was me trying to get my civil rights acknowledged by the school. Um, so it's really a two-pronged effort. Um, it's a website where we put out people's stories and um, also informational content where um, we educate people on civil rights and education, not just around disability, but around race, gender equity, um, gender expression as well. And Really, that's the purpose of the website, and I'm amazed at the way that it's taken off since um, it was made. I was not expecting it to go this far. Recently, um, a community college in Oklahoma reached out to me and told me that they really liked the content that we made, and they were going to be using it to teach students and staff, which I find amazing. Wow, isn't that great? Uh, Well, like, did you decide to do this? as a result of everything that happened and like, how did you get, who did you get behind you when you first got this started? Um, I first, um, I did decide to do it because of, because of um, the result of my situation. And I wanted other people to be able to know in the future because I'm sort of underselling it right now, but the amount of backlash that I got was very significant um, to the point where the school had to take certain measures uh, to prevent harassment whenever I was on the campus grounds. Um, And I wanted to be able to do my part to change the culture so that the next time a student needed accommodations, it wouldn't be, they wouldn't have to go through the same thing. Um, And I had 
um, some friends that were very helpful um, in helping me create the website, video editing, um, family members helping me um, as well, because my grandmother, again, had been working in uh, the education realm for a very long time. She helped me get in contact with a number of people. Um, and also professors here at Penn State were great in giving me advice and helping me find people to contact to help tell their stories. And always everyone that's given feedback on a way to make um, the project better has has been super exceptionally helpful. Right. When you say it was terrible what you went through, do you mean like the school gave you a hard time or students gave you a hard time or teachers or all of the above? Um, I want to make a distinction. I just want to say um, my teachers were excellent. I don't have a single negative thing to say about any of my teachers at my time at Stanton. Um, all of them went forward for me at every level, and all of them fought for me exceptionally hard, going to the principal, going to the district, saying that Elijah was, that what they were doing to me was wrong, and that they saw what I was doing in the classroom, and that I belonged to the school, and that they should find a way to not have me deal with the lights. So I just want to, like, just as a small aside, I still to this day, being four years removed, appreciate every teacher that I've had at Stanton. Um, with that being said, a very significant portion of the student body, as well as um, administration, not just in the school, but in Duval County Public Schools as a whole, um, did quite a bit um, of harassment of me personally. I've gotten a number of angry, threatening messages and emails, um, which happened for a long time. Um, there was an issue of retaliation with one specific administrator who took a lot of time um, following me from classroom to classroom for no real discernible reason. Um, there was a lot of, of that that went on. Uh, there was a lot of difficulty as well um, in that the school district itself did not want to do anything to resolve the problem. Um, when this hit, at its full height was my junior year of, of high school when I am trying to apply for college. And because they refused to even give me the work to make up um, from any of my classes, I was at a point where I was failing a semester because they never gave me any work to complete. And they refused, as I'm applying to college, they refused to make any sort of acknowledgement of discrimination, make any sort of acknowledgement of um, my situation, or um, give me the opportunity to make the work up. Um, so I was essentially applying to college with a full semester of Fs that I earn. So that's sort of the systemic... Um, retaliation that the district gave me, even though they did have the authority to remove the grades um, or give me work in order to make the grades up, it was something they were not willing to do. Um, so really, and then again, on the student level, I mean, we addressed this a little earlier, but um, there is a lot of ableism at the high school level because not that I'm excusing it, but high schoolers are immature. So 
like, if you hear that, oh, Elijah's having seizures, it's funny to go make fun of him. And I was trending locally on Twitter for a bit from people that I thought were my friends for a long time just suddenly decided to make fun of me. I'm literally sort of like a Disney Channel movie. There was a period of time where I would walk into school and people would stop and just point and laugh. Like, literally when I walked into school, the harassment that I faced was very, very significant on all levels. Wow. That's terrible. And you know what? You are courageous because you were able to deal with that and still keep moving on. You know what? I really apologize for their ignorance. Uh, You know, a young man, what you went through. But you know what? You kept it going on and look what you've done. Look what so I hope they all get to hear from someone this podcast. I do. Because, you know, of what they've done. Um, so, Elijah, here you are. You're this great self-advocate. Why do you think that's important? I mean, there are people with disabilities and they're dealing with a lot, but they are not, as you are, a self-advocate. What do you think about that? Um, I'll say that um, self-advocacy, specifically in the realm of education, is important because it helps me maintain my independence because um, no one knows what I need as as well as I do. Like I had excellent lawyers that were advocating for me and going forward for me, but none of them had epilepsy or were sitting in that classroom with me. And it helps you figure out what accommodations you you uh, need, what accommodations you're comfortable with, and. Also, it just helps you maintain, again, your independence as a person, um, and it really helps you tailor what you need. Like, as an example, pretty much since I first got my IEP, um, even through college, whenever I tell a professor that um, I'm, I'm a disabled student and I need an accommodation, they'll always say, okay, so here's what we're going to do for time and a half on your exam." And while that's a very valid accommodation, that's not an accommodation that I need. I just need consideration for absences and extended time for making up assignments once I miss class because, you know, if I'm recovering from a seizure, I'm not able to do much of anything. Um, But just being able to be in the room and be able to voice what I need and what I don't is crucial to independence and education. But I would also like to say that the other side of that coin is that educators and parents, um, everyone needs to listen to disabled voices in these situations because a lot of times it's not that students aren't speaking, it's they're not being heard, and the point isn't being made until someone else comes in to make it. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and as you said, they really can't understand you, only you can understand you, and wow, a great example of that is epilepsy. Well, I looked, and by the way, what is your website so everyone can go to that website? It's equalopportunitiesforstudents.org, all lowercase, um, yeah, equalopportunitiesforstudents.org. If you're interested in contacting, there's a form on the website that you can submit that will go straight to me, but also on the website you can find my Twitter, which is the probably the fastest way to contact me because I'm still 22. Okay. And what, what is the Twitter name again? 
Um, my Twitter name, um, it, you can just search Elijah Armstrong and it'll just come up. I still have my name on there, um, and it's a picture of my face. And you can see a link to Equal Opportunities for Students on there, actually. Okay. All right. Elijah Armstrong on Twitter. That's great. Well, why I brought that up is I think this is fabulous that it gives students the opportunity to tell their own story. So I have two questions. Number one, is this for students only? And number two, if a student does want, you know, to do this, how, how do they make that happen? Um, it's not it's not for students only. Um, anyone that's impacted by uh, issues of educational equity is more than welcome to reach out. Um, again, the website's equalopportunitiesforstudents.org, um, all lowercase, no spaces, no dashes, just equalopportunitiesforstudents.org. Um, reach out to us there. We will get back to you and we'll find the best way to uh, contact you because I travel a lot. I work with a lot of other people that travel a lot as well. So um, there's a pretty solid chance we could have someone go out to you and film an interview and upload it to our website. But if not, we also do publish um, written stories and blog posts as well. So that's the best way um, is to reach out to us through the website and um, we'll get back to you. Okay. Yeah. And everyone, you should go check it out. Wow. It is really powerful. It is powerful. Um, And when you do that, you're videotaping yourself, Elijah, is that what you do? We, we like to shoot interviews. Um, I don't like myself or anyone that I work with to be in the videos ourselves because um, I like to focus it more on uh, the individual so they can have their moment to, to be heard because I know that was one of the most validating experiences for me was to be able to go talk to people in the disability community and explain, hey, this is what's happened to me and, and be validated and be heard by people that aren't judging but are instead understanding and listening and agreeing and supporting emotionally. Um, So really we like to put the focus on those that are telling the story, but it's more in a way that allows you to get the story out and other people to relate and, and connect and see ways that maybe someone they know related to this and ways that, if they see the same thing happening in their school, ways that they can help better the situation. That is awesome. I'm glad you're doing that because that way you're encouraging other people to be self-advocates. It's sort of like a learning experience. Um, and, And since I'm bringing that up, Elijah, did you work with other disability rights leaders? I'm just wondering uh, who were the people impacting you? Um. For equal opportunities for students or no, in no. general? In general. Um, I would say that the two people, like right now, that um, are impacting me most, number one would be Tony Coelho, um, because I aspire to be a public servant. And to see someone with my own disability who has done it on the highest level, helped pass the ADA, um, I actually got to meet him this summer. Um, He's been a great mentor to me. He's absolutely wonderful. He's talked to me about the finer points of being um, of being epileptic and in public life. And seeing someone that's done it successfully is is super powerful. Representation um, very very much matters. And then 
I would say the other person who really I, I've looked up to um, recently has been Stacey Abrams because mm-hmm. um, I'm from Jacksonville, Florida, which is colloquially called South Georgia. And mm-hmm. to have seen her run um, a governor campaign unapologetically as a black woman is amazing um, because I can empathize having been in those situations with the difficulties of racism and sexism that, that she faced, but she did not back down from that, that she would look at issues like healthcare and employment and state how her identities as a black woman um, informed her ability to be employed at a competitive wage and impacted her ability to go to the doctor and get appropriate healthcare. And then the other reason that I've really just looked up to Stacey Abrams is because she graduated from Yale Law and the fact that she, instead of going forward to just go make as much money as possible and leave everyone behind, has instead gone back to her community to go try to help the underprivileged, to to try to resolve the issues of inequity in Georgia um, is just really amazing to me that she's taken the power and privilege from Yale Law and gone back to go firsthand the best way she can help these underprivileged people. And with myself having just gotten into Harvard um, two months ago, Max, um, I understand that it comes with an incredible degree of both power and privilege. And I aspire to do the same thing and make sure that I amplify the voices of people that are not being heard and not because they're not speaking, but because those in power aren't listening. And I have the goal of much in the same way that she has, um, trying to amplify those voices and bring equity back to underserved communities like Jacksonville. I have to tell you, uh, both of those people, I too look up to, but you named my closest friend, mentor, chair of the Bender Advisory Committee. Um, I mean, we're like brother or sister, which is Tony. Tony and I have been together since 1996 as friends. And uh, what a great role model he is for all of us. So that is a great selection you made there, uh, both of them. It's just I don't know Stacy. I look up to her. But Tony, I know so well. So Elijah, look, look how you have been so impacted in your life courageous, obviously uh, determined to be a to a, be a person that makes change in this world. Uh, obviously you're very intelligent, but I wanted to ask you what who who was your role model? Um, if I had to if I had to outside of, of uh, Tony Coelho and Stacey Abrams, if I had to pay, one person that just summed up the whole role model in one answer, I would probably go with LeBron James as sort of as out of left field as that seems is that um, I know he's also come from a very rural area um, being from Akron, Ohio and also being 
so driven as he is to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time, his willingness to go back and say, yes, this is who I am, um, and I'm worth almost a billion dollars, and I have all of these abilities, but to not just let that go, to turn around and then say, I'm going to build schools in my community. I'm going to bring businesses to my community. The people that I came up with, I'm going to give jobs to. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that this success is not just for me, that this success is for the people around me. And also his, his um, just constant vocal nature for fighting against um, inequality of all kinds um, is also very important. So I would really say it's probably those three people right now would be uh, Tony Coelho, Stacey Abrams, and LeBron James. Yeah. Yeah, that is quite a difference there. But I can see why you chose him. And it is all about paying it forward and giving back. And with that, first of all, Elijah, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. I thank you for having me on the show. I very much, very much appreciate the invite. Okay. And listen, everyone, you can tell your friends. You can go to Spotify or Apple to get this podcast. Spotify, Apple, there you can get the download. So let everyone know. Uh, And Elijah, you can put that on your uh, website. So, Elijah, I know for a fact this is one of your favorite quotes, and we end every show, every show with a quote. So today it is Martin Luther King Jr. that said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can't do that how true those words are this is joyce bender america's voice where disability matters at voiceamerica.com talk to you next week voice america would like to thank you for tuning in please join us next tuesday at 11 a.m pacific time for another installment of disability matters right here on the internet leader and talk radio voiceamerica.com